Hey, this is Max. I'm out in Seattle on vacation with my family, and you're listening to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. This is an unusual week because Max and Dan are gone. So whereas Max is your normal moderator, today I, Scott, am moderating the podcast, and it is just me and Bill. So we're going to have a great time talking together, Uh, maybe a bit of a shorter episode, maybe a little bit more just a conversation between two people. We'll see how it goes. I'm just glad that it's happening at all. So before we get started, Bill, would you open us up in prayer? Yes. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the privilege of being part of this podcast, and we do pray your Holy Spirit fill Scott and I both, that this would be more than worthwhile for not just the two of us, but for everybody who's listening in. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, to add insult to injury, Dan texted me yesterday or the day before and told me that he stole the Would You Rather cards, and he burned them. No, he put them somewhere. I don't know where they are. Um, so, because it's just me and Bill, and because Dan took the Would You Rather cards, we're going to do a lightning round. Bill, I hope you're ready. I'm going to give you an undetermined number of Would You Rather questions, and you just fire off the top of your head what your answer is. All right. And I have no idea what they're going to be. Hopefully, they're not inappropriate. Would you rather be a famous actor or a famous director? Famous actor. Would you rather have permanent clown makeup or have permanent clown clothes? Permanent clown clothes. Would you rather go about your normal day naked or fall asleep for a year? Go about my normal day naked. These are so easy. <laughs> I'm glad you think they're easy. Would you rather, oh, this is, this is kind of existential. Would you rather know it all or have it all? Hmm. I think I'll take know it all. Would you rather uh, everything you eat be blended into a milkshake or always have to have at least eight layers of clothing on? Oh, my gosh. Oh, let's blend the food. Yeah, I could have guessed that one. Would you rather stop showering or stop brushing your teeth? Stop showering. And last but not least, would you rather be the best in the world at something but nobody knows it or be the worst in the world at something and everybody knows it? Oh, the best. That's what kind of <laughs> questions are so that? easy. Uh, this is what happens when you have to rely on apps. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, we've got a topic of the week that Max has delivered to me very um, generously. He sent me an email this morning. But before we get into the topic of the week, there's something that I wanted to talk about. And because Max isn't here, we can do whatever we want. Right. So the thing that I want to talk about is I think. This came up on the podcast. I'm not 100% sure. I know it's come up in something that you've said recently, Bill, that I was a a part of. So it might have been the podcast. It might have been a sermon. Could have just been a conversation. But you recently said um, something to the effect of, I think it was up until you were, what, in your 50s or 60s? 60 years old. 60 years old, that you didn't really love reading the Bible until you did something. And what was that something that you did, Bill? Binge reading binge reading. So I read it through in 28 days Oh my gosh! because I wondered, can the Bible be read in 90 days? Or am I asking people to do the impossible with me? So that proved to me, okay, if I can do it in 28, everybody can do this in 90. <laughs> so then it was 
read it two more times in a course of about 120 days because okay. I was part of the Bible 90-day program, got done early and decided, just do it and do it again. <laughs> Why not? Right. Because <laughs> now I'm really starting to get into it at that point. Yeah. Hey, it only took 60 years, but it made perfect sense to me that when you look at how we all operate, generally we do read books for like an hour at a time. We don't, we don't take a John Grisham novel and say, oh, 10 minutes, finally I'm done. <laughs> we just don't do that. Yeah, that's true. But, but we do act that way with the Bible, 10 minutes. And if I do it every day for 10 minutes, I'll read it all in a year. Most of us would say, I should just keep on rolling with this and then miss a day. And mm. instead of feeling guilty about it, just to say, well, but I read in an hour yesterday. I'm, I'm still rolling with that. Yeah. Yeah, the reason I bring this up is um, I think Chelsea reminded me that you'd said something like that. I don't know why it came into her mind. But I might have mentioned this on a previous episode of the podcast. I can't remember. But I'm reading through the Bible right now in 90 days for ordination. It's not required that you read it in 90 days, but you have to read it through twice. Mm -hmm. And so I want to do it in 90 days um, back to back so I can do my two readings by the end of 2020. So I started at the beginning of July. I've never done the Bible in 90 days before, and it's about an hour a day, I'd say. Mm -hmm. That's usually about how long it takes me. And I'm in the middle of Second Chronicles now, and it has just been so awesome to read it in big chunks every day. Um, Leah and I went on vacation, and we read it every day together, and I'm getting so much out of it, and, and I might even venture to say so much more out of it, reading it for that extended period of time um, than I do normally in my in my normal devotions, which are yeah, probably about 10 minutes, read like a chapter a day or, or whatever. Yeah. That's my usual thing. So you said that you think that, you know, that there's a connection there between how we read other books and and how we read the Bible, and it, so it kind of makes sense. Is there any other reason, do you think, that reading it in, in larger pieces would make it more meaningful or more enjoyable? I think those New Testament people of the church, when they heard the Scriptures, they're hearing a whole book at a time. Mm. Here, we've got Paul's letter to us. They don't stop after 10 minutes and say, well, that's enough. <laughs> where's the ice cream and cake <laughs> they're gonna finish it and they're gonna be talking about it and they might say let's read that again or he, you know he sent us first corinthians let's get that out right now and read mm. that I, I just have a hard time believing they limited themselves to a few minutes a day sure yeah i think well actually let me ask you this first um when you were reading it through or or you've read it through i mean dozens of times right yes yeah so do you always do it cover to cover, or do you do it chronologically, or do you do it different, different ways at different times? I've done everything imaginable. I've started <laughs> from Revelation 22 and worked my way to Genesis 1. Have you really? Yeah. Did I've, you go chapter by chapter or book yep, by book? Yep, chapter by chapter. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so <laughs> you figure, well, maybe I'll catch something new this way, and I'm, mm, I'm sure I did. Sure. I've read it chronologically. But mainly it's starting with Genesis and plowing through to the end. And a lot of that's due to it also being on my iPod. Mm. And, and that's the mm. way the iPod is set up. Sure. I'm kind of embarrassed to even say this, but when I was in my 60s, one time I was really racing through it. It was probably back in 2012. And I had read 
in Chronicles that, that day. I did it all while I was not serving in the church, by the way. This was oh, really? before hours or after hours. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. With this one exception, I remember I was walking flyers for the church and listening to the iPod. Oh, yeah. I'd read Chronicles that day, and now I was listening to Isaiah. And for the first time, now this is a guy with a degree in Bible. <laughs> for the first time it hit me, this is the same story. Mm. It's found in Chronicles. It had to do with Isaiah and King Hezekiah. Hezekiah, yeah. I just heard this, or I just read this. Oh my gosh! I just, I just never saw them both covering the same material before. Probably because it would have taken a couple of months to get from Chronicles mm. to Isaiah by reading, say, ten, fifteen minutes a day. It just, right. just you, you forget about it after two months have gone by. That yeah. oh, I, I read this in Chronicles two months ago. It just. <laughs> Never occurred to me. So that was another beautiful thing about gorging myself on the Bible. Yeah, that's that's really one of the big things that I've noticed. So I'm in Chronicles now, like I said, and so pretty much, I mean, the the obviously the prophets kind of slot in there and stuff. Mm -hmm. But in terms of once you get past Nehemiah, you start getting the wisdom literature and the prophets. Then it really starts kind of jumping around in terms of time frame and. Yeah. Um, it's harder to know exactly where you are, but pretty much from Genesis to around the beginning of the wisdom literature is pretty cr chronological. Yes. And uh, so I don't know what it'll be like when I get beyond that, but reading through the chronology in such a, a packed, uh, you know, concise period of time, it's really allowed me to, to see and notice things that maybe they're not that consequential, but it, it makes so much more sense. Like something that I that I never never picked up on, I don't think, um, was I don't remember who which king it was, but one of the kings I think he or or somebody one of his servants rebuilt Jericho, and as he was rebuilding Jericho, it says, uh, you know, basically laying the foundation of Jericho cost him the life of his first son, yeah. and building the walls cost him the life of his second son, and that's a really bizarre thing to read. Unless you remember that in the book of Joshua, I think it is, when they defeat Jericho, God says, you will never rebuild this city, or you know, I'll curse you, or something like that. Yes, and it'll so cost that, you your son. Yeah, yeah. And it, so you just you get to that point, and honestly, a lot of the kind of head scratches of the Old Testament just make a lot more sense when you have the capacity to make the connections that are already there um, yes. if, you, if you're reading it close enough to, to each other. Yeah, that, that's a good example. In fact, that's one of the things I also like about the Bible. I read it with a pen, and there are prophecies that will come up that could be one of them, and think, did this ever happen? Mm. And then if you're reading it a good clip, oh, this did happen. And I even have it marked so that I can find both passages, the prediction and the fulfillment. It builds my faith a lot because mm. when you start seeing how many promises God is fulfilling, it begins to sink in. He really meant it when he said, is God a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should change his mind? Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? 
Numbers 2319 or 1923. I get it's one of those too. Mm. I think, whoa, God really does keep these promises. We just we're the problem. We we keep forgetting what the promise even was. Yeah. Yeah, another thing that I've noticed is it's easy uh, we maybe even have talked about this on the podcast, but it's kind of an old trope of of Christian discussion. It's easy to think of some of the judgments of God in the Old Testament as pretty severe or pretty harsh. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that I've I've realized in reading through so much of the Old Testament so quickly is that the Israelites are just such a mess. Oh my <laughs> gosh, it's unbelievable! Like you. You know, when you think of, or when I've thought of, I'll just put it into my, on my own shoulders, when I thought of the Israelites in the Old Testament, it's like, yeah, you know, they served idols, and, you know, they, they were unfaithful to God in that way, and so God punished them. And they did, and some of that got really nasty when they were, you know, child sacrifice and stuff like that. But even just at the end of, at the end of the book of Judges, there's like three or four, maybe six, I can't remember, but there's a couple of chapters that just get really weird, mm-hmm. with the Israelites just doing horrible things, horrible things, and they don't even make any sense. And Cutting up that concubine into 12 uh-huh. pieces. And the tribe of Benjamin warring against the rest of Israel, and then Saul, their first king, is a Benjaminite, and they're not even bothered by that. <laughs> it's so yeah. bizarre. And yeah. you just realize these people, and really, I mean everybody, but it's especially pointed because the Bible talks about them a lot. These people were so screwed up, and they had everything in their favor really makes sense why God was so severe with them. Um, anyway. <laughs> yeah, but you also see his mercy. Oh, yeah, time and, and again. And it gives me hope because, okay, you sinned, all right? Can God forgive? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we have lots of reasons why he can forgive, but but it really helps, too, to be able to look at Israel and say he kept coming back to them yeah. with forgiveness and their sins were just absolutely heinous. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that the fact that the exile was not the end of them. I think Pastor David's mentioned this in a sermon at least once, I think probably more than once, regarding the reformation of Israel in the twentieth century. But even back, you know, 2,000, 3,000 years ago, however long ago it was, when they were taken into exile, and then they came back, and they got the chance to rebuild then. Like, that that doesn't happen. Like, you don't get right. completely conquered and taken out of your land and then get to rebuild, and then to do it again 2,000... It's, it's wild. It's easy to take that for granted, but that is such a unique thing. It is unique. I mean, think of it. We've got Jews around us, particularly if you live in Lake County, Illinois... But we don't have any Hittites living around us, yeah. or Assyrians, or Moabites. Uh, all those groups, with the exception of the Egyptians and the Assyrians, they're gone. Yeah. But the Jews, they get dispersed. They're part of not just the Holocaust of World War II. There have been other times where people have been trying to eliminate the Jews, and, and you just cannot do it. God won't let you do it. Hmm. It's impressive. I mean, the Jewish race is a good example of, is there a God? Yes. Yeah. See these Jews? They, there's no way they could be around unless God is real. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you for humoring me, Bill. And that's my, <laughs> that's my advertisement this week to, to try reading the Bible in 90 days. 
Uh, it's been really cool for me, and I was—I don't think I said this on the recording. I think this was before we started recording. But even last Friday, I finished the reading for that day, and I went back in. I read two more days' worth just because it was really interesting. I was in Kings at the time. And so I strongly encourage you, read the Bible 90 days if you can. Read it out loud. That's what I've been doing, and it has been really, really great. Yeah, and I want to say a loud amen to read it out loud. When I'm spiritually dry, that is my go-to. Start reading it out loud, and suddenly what I found dry becomes refreshing really fast. It's not like, well, in a month later. No, no. Usually Mm -hmm. within a day or two, the reading out loud really takes hold. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for humoring us, Max. (laughs) And now for the topic of the week that he actually sent me. This week's topic of the week is sponsored by Dad's Prayer and Hangout Time. Mm. Hey, Bloomingdale Dads, Thursday, August 6th, 13th, and 20th, we, and by we I mean you, will come together to support each other during these challenging days. There will be a short practical devotion just for the dads, followed by sharing and praying time, followed by lots of complaining about the Cubs. We alternate between meeting in person and on Zoom each week. Dad's Prayer and Hangout Time, Thursdays from 7 to 8 p.m. on Zoom the 6th, in the portico the 13th, and back on Zoom for the 20th. I should note, I'm not a father. I will not be there. I didn't write this. This is entirely Dan and Max, which is ridiculous because Max isn't a father either. Thank you, Max. (laughs) And the actual topic of the week this week is a follow-up on Bill's sermons of the last two weekends, or at the very least of the last weekend. Um, Bill, you just preached a two-part series of sermons all about finding Jesus in the Psalms. I want to dive in and follow up on your messages today. First, why did you end up preaching on Psalms? The first message could have been a psalm, but actually I took it from 2 Samuel. It's the passage that's known as the Davidic Covenant, where God promises, David, your house will last forever and the only way that could possibly be was because Jesus Christ is of the house of David. Mm. I preached on that and Psalms because earlier in the year, I read a book called The Moody Handbook of Messianic Prophecies, edited by Michael Rydelnik, the man on WMBI who answers all the questions people bring up on Saturday morning. And I think that's maybe the best book I've read in, say, the last 10 or 20 years. It has just really affected me deeply in a good way. It must have about 100 chapters in it. It's a long book. It's 1,338 pages long. But it's so well written that it kept my interest all the way through. Wow. And Michael Rydelnik doesn't write every chapter, but anytime he writes one, it is just phenomenal. I want to get my hands on anything that guy's written because it's Mm. good stuff. But what he did, he pointed out where Jesus is seen so readily all throughout the Old Testament, but I just didn't have eyes to see it. And by reading that book and having an exposition of roughly 100 different Old Testament passages that point out Jesus is here, You, you just don't see him. Sort of like, where's Waldo? (laughs) Everything in black and white. It's tough to find Waldo if you just have a photocopy of the page. Mm. But with Michael Rydelnik's 
book in my lap and the Bible next to me, I began seeing this is Jesus. How could I have missed this all my life? Just over and over again. And by practicing that way with the book for, oh, four and a half months, because it took a long time to get through <laughs> it, uh, I just started seeing him more and more. And long about springtime, I said to David, I know what I want to preach this summer. I want to preach about the Messianic prophecies, and mainly you see them in Psalms. Mm-hmm. So he said, okay. So that, that's how it all happened. So we've talked before about finding Jesus on every page um, and looking for Jesus in the Old, or not just in the Old mm-hmm. Testament, but just throughout the Bible. Um, to some, the answer to this question is probably pretty obvious, but why does that matter? Why should we try and find Jesus in the Old Testament? I mean, if you're picking out the Bible for the first time, it seems like Jesus shows up in the New Testament, and the Old Testament's about a lot of other things. So like, why, why should we look for him in the Old Testament? I want to appeal to what Jesus himself said. He's talking with the Pharisees, and I think he's probably got an edge to his voice as he says this. He says to them in John 5.39, You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Mm. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Well, the scriptures he's speaking of is the Old Testament. There's no right, New yeah. Testament scriptures written yet. And I, I appeal to that verse because Jesus himself is saying, the scriptures point to me. That's what the Old Testament is really all about. Don't miss it. None of us want to identify with the Pharisees, but we've got a lot of Pharisee in us. Mm-hmm. And one part of that Phariseeism is we read the Old Testament and get all excited about Moses and David and Daniel and Samson, and and we're missing the point. It's just bizarre. Hmm. It's like going downtown and seeing a phenomenal musical and, and just focusing all your attention on the decorations in the auditorium <laughs> and just missing all the music. <laughs> it's like nobody's that stupid. But when it comes to the scriptures, we got to give Satan some real credit. He knows how to divert us, how to blind our eyes and and even the Christians, we have a hard time getting the scales off our eyes. Hmm. So why do you think, you know, you said we get caught up in Moses and we get caught up in David and all these, all these characters in the Old Testament. Why do you think that they're there then? What's the, what's the purpose of them being there? Why isn't it just prophecies about Jesus or clearer pointing to Jesus or however you want to view it? Yes. What's the purpose of, of those guys? To really not only point to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but to also just show how great he is. Mm. So this is one I've been mulling around in my mind. You know, in Chronicles, there's this chapter about David's mighty men. Yeah. And these guys, they are unreal. (laughs) Benaiah, he went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. And it took reading a book about it to realize Benaiah purposely went into that pit chasing that lion. Up till then, I'd always thought, well, he was just having a bad day. He was in a pit, (laughs) looked up, whoa, there's a lion too. No, no, he's running after that lion. He means to go after that lion, and he kills him. Think, whoa, 
he's just one of those mighty men. And then other people like Shamgar, he kills 800 Philistines with, a, with an ox goad. You think, okay. I mean, that's not a whole <laughs> lot better than a pencil. I, this is just amazing that these men do all these feats. Typically, we say, wow, Benet is awesome. Shamgar is awesome. No, no, they're not. God is awesome. What they were doing was totally miraculous. Mm. A man has no chance against a lion when all he's got is a club. That, that's ridiculous. Shamgar can't kill 800 Philistines with an ox goad. You can't make it any more difficult. They might as well have said with one hand tied behind his back and blindfolded. Mm. It's, it's just this, this isn't something a person can do. Part of it is we even train ourselves wrong. I went to Sunday school all my life. The Sunday school lesson gets us thinking about David and Goliath, and we'll take the story of Samuel when he's a little boy. The Lord's speaking to him. He doesn't know it, so he runs to the priest Eli, who's his caretaker, and says, yes, what would you like? And he says, I, I didn't say anything, go back to bed. So they keep doing this three, four times, and finally, Eli catches on and says, okay, the next time you hear that voice say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And then listen and tell me what happens. In Sunday school, the emphasis is on, see, God talks to little kids. So he might be talking to you. And you know what? There's a lot of truth to that. But the emphasis is on little kids. God talks to little kids. And I mean, that's especially the way you hear it when you're a little right. kid, too. Yeah. And we do that with just everything in the Old Testament. Instead of saying, God talks to little kids. Mm. We just have a way of pushing God into the background with all of these fabulous stories. We're, we're missing the point. We're perverting the point because we've set aside the hermeneutical, the Bible interpretive principle that every page stars God. Look for God first, and then you'll get the true message out of it. Yeah. Hey, it's only taken my whole life to catch on to this, <laughs> which is so embarrassing. Uh, but I think it's harder to unlearn things than it is to learn them right the first time. Mm, yeah. and, and that's what I'm up against. I'm unlearning my whole background, which is really sad because it's a totally evangelical, Bible-believing, Bible-loving background, and I'm still having to unlearn some of the things that are keeping me from seeing God so clearly. Sure. Yeah, so speaking of misconceptions and, and misunderstandings about the Bible and about who God is and, and what he does, a big focus of this week's sermon was that Jesus is not meek and mild. He brings justice for the wicked and, quote, will break them with a rod of iron. This feeling that Jesus is just this kind of chill guy who just wants to have a good time, it really takes all the urgency out of the gospel, even though when Jesus comes back, it's going to be too late to kiss the sun, as verse 12 says. So why do you think people see Jesus in this sort of vapid, tame way? What, what causes believers and non-believers alike to give Jesus such an ambivalent attitude? Well, we're painting the Jesus we want to see, and we really like 
this nice Jesus because then he'll be nice to us. He'll be nice to our sinner friends, our sinner families. He's so merciful. And there's a lot of truth to Jesus is the friend of sinners. And he got along well with all those sinners Matthew brought to his party, all those tax collectors and prostitutes. And you, you look at that Jesus and you just think, man, that's, that's awesome that he, he could just walk into a party like that and they love him and he tells them about the kingdom of God. And all of that is true. However, we ignore these truths like kiss the son or he will be angry with you. Not he might be, he will be angry with you. Mm. And your ways will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. We just ignore all of those passages and there are many of them. It's, it's not like that was the only time where, well, Jesus looks pretty rough. I've been very um, convicted by how confrontational Jesus is mm. and that I need to be more confrontational and forthright. Jesus looks at the Pharisees, and I'm sure there's anger in his voice when he says, you brood of vipers. You whitewashed tombs. Whoa. <clears throat> we, nobody makes that their memory verse for the day. <laughs> but that was Jesus dealing with them because he's trying to get through to them for their own salvation's sake. Mm. Jesus is the best evangelist ever, and he's saying some very brutal things to people and using very very strong language. We're always afraid we're going to offend them. Jesus, he was offending them. He knew he was offending them, but he was doing it to, to reach them. So obviously it's, it's, not, it's not a small deal to have the wrong perception of God in our minds. You know, the Bible says, Jesus says, that we need to worship God in spirit and in truth. We need to know who he is and be worshiping the right idea of God. Um, and as you just said a couple minutes ago, sometimes it's much more difficult to unlearn something than it is to learn something the right way the first time. Yes. So if, I think if, it is always. Yeah. So if if we, or if one is, is struggling with this idea, you know, an incorrect idea of Jesus, of just this kind of, kind of mild-mannered, quiet guy, what do you, what are some, some steps they could take, do you think, to, to get a right idea of Jesus in their mind, a more full-fledged out Jesus. What really awakened me to it was simply reading the Bible. Mm. Not the quickest reader in the world in that I've read it over and over and over again. I don't think there's a page in the New Testament I haven't read at least 50 times, at least. And there's many books I've memorized in the New Testament. I still just don't seem to get it very fast. And you think, my gosh, I'm embarrassed by it, and yet at the same time I think, it's not just me. It's, it's not just me. This, this is showing true spiritual warfare that even though I'm a Christian and I ask the Holy Spirit to fill me, I can still just be at least semi-blinded to the, the real truth of the Scripture. Maybe get a little bit of it, but not, not really get, get it like I should. Mm which is also what I find appealing about it, that 
here's a book that I can read for a whole lifetime and at the end of my lifetime be saying, wow, I, I just really haven't gotten it too well. Hmm. I, I can't say that of any other books that I read. Yeah. That they have that kind of depth to them. The way that you phrase that, this idea of, you know, I've been reading this for your whole lifetime and at the end of your lifetime still feeling like there's so much more to learn. It makes me wonder what it'll be like you know, when we get to heaven and and if it'll, you know, if it doesn't, not that it doesn't matter, obviously you want to study and meditate on the word of the Lord, that's what the Bible tells us to do, but it almost makes me wonder if like no matter where you're at, if when you get to heaven you'll just realize the depths were not even close to plumbed, you know, that you're just, you're so far away from a full comprehension. I wonder if, I don't know, I think it'll be, it'll be cool to see what that's like as we see God face to face and realize how much we, how much we didn't really get. Yeah. I, I know what it is. We are sinners. Our brains are just like soaked mm. in a solution of sin. Yeah. And that sin makes us dumb. <laughs> we think we're smart. And then, oh, we came up with, you know, atomic energy. Okay. Actually, I didn't come up with it. You know, it, it was people like <laughs> Einstein. But, you know, we all like to ride on his coattails and say, see what we did? And God has got to be laughing in heaven, like, you think you guys got something? You're just one little pimple of a planet, and you, you can't even figure out how to run your own planet. Wait till you get to heaven and you get to really see something. <laughs> yeah. Well, anything else you'd like to add to that, Bill? If you're willing to read a great book that's long, get a hold of that moody handbook of messianic prophecies. It's mm. not cheap, but moody has half off sales. So you might be able to get it for 50% off, which gets it into like maybe the $25 range. However, it's a book that you want for the rest of your life. Mm. And there are already some chapters in that book that I've read twice. I wouldn't have any qualms about going back and reading it again. It's, it's just been so enlightening. It's really worthwhile. Mm. If you say, I just don't read, I, I can't handle a book that big. If you just open your own Bible and pray, Lord, help me to see Jesus in this passage. That's a prayer he, he wants to answer. He'll honor that. You mm. can just pause on that passage, particularly if it's in the Psalms. You can say, Lord, you, you probably are in here. Just help me to see it. Yeah, it's a good word. Well, listeners, if you'd like to be a part of the show, you can send questions, would-you-rathers, trivia quizzes, and rods of iron to podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org. As you know, many episodes like this, which I don't even know if that ended up being that many, don't have closing segments. So instead, I'll just ask, Bill, do you have a favorite movie? Yeah, I've got a few, so let me just narrow it down to one. <laughs> I like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid a lot. All right. What do you like about it? Oh, those two guys are just such good friends. And when we were in seminary, the other guys would call David, I think he was Butch and I was Sundance. <laughs> so we watched that movie, and I, I think it's their friendship, that they're just with each other through thick and thin. They get killed together. It, that's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> All right. All right, well, that's all the time we have this week. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, me. Bill, take <laughs> us home. 
I would like to invite people to be baptized. Mm, yeah. We're having a baptism service on the weekend of the 15th and 16th of August, Saturday night, Sunday morning, and people are stepping forward and saying, I want to be baptized. We're having a hard time getting a word out to everybody, but please, if you've never been baptized as a believer, be baptized and contact me to say, I, I want to do this. I, I hope I hope you will, and if you just simply know somebody who's out there that hasn't been baptized, speak to them about it, invite them to be part of it. Yeah, you know where those baptisms are happening. Right in the parking lot. In Bloomingdale, Illinois, <laughs> the heart of the nation. <laughs>